Lukutei Sichais, Parshas Dvarim, Chelek Chom Dalad, Sicha Aleph. On the first day of Shvat, 37 days before his passing, Meisha begins his repetition of the Torah to the assembled nation, reviewing the events that occurred and the laws that were given in the course of their 40-year journey from Mitzrayim, from Egypt to Sinai, to Eretz Yisrael, to the land of Israel, rebuking the people for their failings and iniquities, and enjoining them to keep the Torah and observe its commandments in the land that God is giving them as an eternal heritage into which they would cross after his death. In verse 5, Pasuk He of Perak Aleph, the first chapter, we read that it was when they were in the land of the Moabites on that side of the Jordan that Moshe commenced with his explanation of Torah and spoke. Our sages teach that Moshe explained the Torah in 70 languages at that time, and that before they crossed the Jordan, Moshe instructed that they gather large stones when they cross the Jordan River, that these stones be plastered, and that the entire Torah be engraved upon them. Be'er Hetev, the verse says very clearly, which Rashi explains to mean in 70 languages, basing his explanation on a Gemara in the Tractate of Sota. In the Tractate of Sufrim, in the first chapter, the Mishnah teaches of five elders who are to translate the entire Torah into Greek at the demand of King Talmai, and that the day that they did this was as difficult and as ominous as the day that the golden calf was made, for the Torah cannot be accurately translated. But if Misha himself had explained the Torah into 70 languages, and then it was inscribed onto the tablets in 70 languages, as per Moshe's instruction, there must be value and purpose in translating the Torah. How then was its translation into Greek, an ominous day and a tragic event? Even more difficult to understand is why. Why couldn't the Torah be accurately translated when the King Talmai called for its translation? In fact, this event is recorded in several sources in the Talmud, as having occurred with 70 sages, with 72 sages, each time noting the difficulty of the event. If it had already been translated into all 70 universal languages by Moshe, We can say perhaps it was particularly difficult to translate into Greek, because first of all, the 70 languages into which it had already been translated included the language of Greek. And secondly, the reason the Talmud states for why it was such a tragic and ominous day is that the Torah cannot be translated with great accuracy, which would actually impact all 70 languages and not just Greek. Thirdly, Greek actually has a unique law and instruction associating with the copying of Tanakh, and that is that according to the Rashbag, the law is that these books may be translated only into Lashna Kedish, the holy language, and no other language other than Greek. Fourth of all, in the Jerusalem Talmud, in the Tractate of Megillah, we learn that after investigation and attempt, it was found that the Torah could not be accurately translated into any other language other than Greek. The strangest issue is that in the Tractate of Sophim, where this statement is made regarding the ominous day of the translation of the Torah by the five elders into Greek, is described as a day as ominous for the Jewish nation as the day that the golden calf was made, which was indeed a horribly tragic day. But how can we say that? 
that the fact that the Torah could not be accurately translated was as ominous and tragic as the day in the event of making the golden calf? Where else do we see this description in the Talmud, like the day that the calf was made? In the tractate of Shabbos, on a day when the two schools of Hillel and Shammai joined, which was a very rare occasion, as the school of Shammai sat in Jerusalem, and the school of Hillel sat for the most part, in the attic of Beit Gadia in Jericho, and the emergency measures enacted by the various rulers at their time made it difficult for the two academies to meet, to discuss their disagreements, and to reach compromises. On this day, when they did manage to gather together in the attic of Hananiah ben Chizkiah ben Gurion in Jerusalem, and there, by majority vote, they ruled on the laws that were subject to dispute between them, the Mishnah in the Tractate of Shabbos records the 18 laws which were decreed and enacted on that day. But it was not a peaceful day, as the school of Hillel normally outnumbered the school of Shammai, owing to the fact that their academic standards for students were less elitist and thus was a more popular academy. However, the school of Shammai insisted with great vehemence and even violence that the vote on the halacha would be open only to those students of the school of Hillel who were acceptable to, to them. The students of the school of Shammai stood waiting for them below, threatening to kill the students of the school of Hillel. It is taught six of them went up, the rest confronted them with swords and spears, and 18 matters were decreed. Concerning 18, they were the majority, and concerning 18, they were divided. And the Talmud Bavli recounts the events as follows. They wedged a sword in the base medrash and said, whoever enters, enters, but no one will leave. That day, Hillel sat bent before Shammai like one of his students, and it was as painful for Israel as the day when the golden calf was made. But why? Why was that day so tragic as to be compared to the day the golden calf was made? Rashi explains that it was so painful because Hillel was a leader in Israel. He was the Nasi, and at that time he was humbled. Rashi's explanation is easily understood regarding the first part of the answer. It was an ominous day because Hillel, a Nasi, a leader in Israel, was made to sit like a student before Shammai. But the second part, about his being humbled, speaks not to a tragedy, but to the greatness of Hillel, who was humble enough to sit like a student before Shammai, though he was a leader in Israel. There are commentaries that should suggest that Rashi's explanation, because Hillel, who was a leader in Israel, was made at that time to be humbled, also explains the comparison to the day of the making of the golden calf, when at that time they disregarded Moshe as their leader and said, let us make a leader, a god, who will lead us. But their commentary seems insufficient, as even if they were to compare the at-that-times of Hillel's experience and that of Moshe, they are not at their core comparable. On the day that they made the golden calf, the essential point was not that at that time they disregarded Moshe as their leader. It was that they were sinning and actually serving an idol. We might consider the explanation here by prefacing it with exploring the precise wording in both situations. In the Tractate of Safran that discusses the translating of the Torah into Greek, and the event of the meeting of the school of Shammai and of Hillel, when Hillel said bowed before Shammai like a student, as related in the tractate of Shabbos. The wording is, it was ominous as the day in which the golden calf was made. 
none of as ominous as the making of the golden calf or as the sin of the golden calf, but as ominous as the day in which the golden calf was made. If we think about it, the day that they served the idol was the day after they made it, as indeed the Torah tells us that on the day, referring to the day after its forming, Aaron had said, on the day of its forming, Chag Hashem Machar, it will be a festival to God tomorrow. His intention, as we know, was to delay things, as he was sure that Misha would return and the nation would in fact serve God. The Torah tells us, though, that they rose the next morning, brought sacrifices to the golden calf. The description of as ominous as the day that the golden calf was made indicates that the tragedy was in the way they spent that day, not so much about the making of the golden calf. On that day, God was forgotten, and they were involved in making an idol, which they were preparing to worship the following day. This is actually similar to the idea of the translation of the Torah that the sages were writing at the demand of King Talmai in Greek. The meaning of the words in the tractate of Sufram, that the Torah could not be translated with full accuracy, is that precise translation and the order of Torah, what Torah records first, what Torah records after, cannot be translated. And the concern is that the translation would then leave room for error. So a non-Jew, like King Talmud, would then study this Greek translation. He may not understand the correct intention of several situations in Torah, and in fact may completely misunderstand the true intention of the verses. It was for this reason that when Talmud asked the 72 elders to translate the Torah into Greek, God placed counsel into the minds of them all, Excuse me, and they were of one mind, and all made the same 13 adjustments in their translations. This is how the ominous event of the day that made the golden calf, that they made the golden calf, compares in the Tractate of Sufram. Just as the day on which they made the golden calf was an ominous day, because it was the day before they would actually sin and serve the idol, so it was on the day that the Torah was translated into Greek, as this, this could eventually cause misinterpretations of Torah, and worse, misinterpretations that were the exact opposite of Torah's intention. Similarly, the day that Hillel said bent before Shammai like a student, the fact that the law was decided at the, as the school of Shammai was not that ominous, as at the end, Hillel was silent in the face of Shammai's rulings and didn't take up argument. In other words, the halacha was made clear, but the challenge lay in that the law of Beis Shammai might have prevailed for future generations, and the law is meant to be according to the school of Hillel. When the school of Shammai disagrees with the law of the school of Hillel, it is not regarded in the Mishnah. This then can be said to be Rashi's intention when he says it was ominous as the day that they made the golden calf, because Hillel was a leader in Israel, and he was made humble. Rashi explains the difficulty here, saying that they were actually there were actually two reasons. Excuse me, that these were actually the two reasons why the law was determined according to the decision of the school of Hillel. He was a leader among his people, and he was humble. In general, the one who determines Jewish law is the nasi, the leader of the people, as opposed to the avbeistin, the head of the Jewish court. In this case, where the law was determined according to the school of Shammai, Shammai was only the Avbeistin, the head of the Jewish court. And the law was determined according to the school of Hillel because of his modesty, as we learn in the Talmud and the Tractate of Erevin. 
מפני מה זוכו בייס הילו לקבוע הלכה כמוסם, מפני שנכין ועלובין היו. The house of Hillel were pleasant and humble, and thus the halacha was determined according to Hillel's teachings. So we've explained how the day of making the golden calf, which would lead to the nation's sinning in serving an idol, was like the experience of translating the Torah into Greek, which could lead to detrimental misinterpretations of Torah, and like the experience of Hillel sitting bent before the school of Shammai could lead to the error of following the determinations of the house of Shammai, into future generations. However, Torah is very precise, and therefore the words, the day upon which the golden calf was made, cannot just be seen for what might come next, but need to be understood in the absolute sense of that very day and the sin of the golden calf itself. It's known that Torah commentaries explain at length that when the nation made the golden calf, their intention was not to serve an idol, God forbid. They were just looking for a leader, who could replace Moshe, who had brought them up out of Egypt, but now had not returned, and they were afraid they had been abandoned. They weren't trying to replace God. They wanted someone or something to serve as a go-between between them and God, as God himself had seemingly so established, as was Moshe who mediated between them and God, who had brought them up out of Egypt, and not God directly. The nation misunderstood a very fundamental idea in the manifestation of the divine presence. In order for a Jew in this world to connect with God and to serve God with the entire strength of his soul, with his intellect and with his emotions, God's presence must be manifest, so to speak, in this world for him, manifest to the extent that a Jew has a sense of knowing that God's presence exists and knowing beyond the experience of faith that God's presence is absolutely manifest in this world in its core essential form. Godliness is revealed to one who is an ish, a man in this world below, a soul in a body, enclosed in this wondrous union of knowing God to the extent, regarding Moshe, for example, who is called an ish ha'elekim, a man whose self-definition was God. And then their thinking was that in order for God, their thinking was that in order for godliness to be drawn down into this world, and resonant in this world of physicality, into all realms of the physical, it needs to be drawn into something that is lower yet than man, and in that way, the world will be truly impacted. Somewhat like indeed, a little later on, God said, make me a mikdash, a sanctuary, I will dwell among them. And the sanctuary was made of physical materials, of silver, of gold, surely lower than man, lower even than the animal, of the world of organic materials. And the main part of the Mishkan was the Aaron, the Ark, upon which stood two Kuvim, the childlike angelic figures which God allowed his pre- where God allowed his presence to dwell, communicating with our nation from between these two cherubs on the Ark of Witness, on the Aaron. This seems to be the accepted understanding in the Midrash, that the sin of the golden calf was a direct result of what the nation witnessed when God descended onto the mountain at Sinai. They witnessed the Merkava, the holy chariot, and they selected one of the images, the face of the ox. They were looking for a physical image of this world to match the supernal image of the Merkava. Thus, aware of their error, even after they made the golden calf before they worshipped it, Aram said, it's a festive day to God tomorrow, thinking that something of great value can come of this, the revelation upon Moshe's return, 
that the golden calf had absolutely no reality, and factually, had the Satan, had Satan not agitated and woken them early to sin, they would indeed have all agreed to burn the golden calf upon Moshe's return, and it would not have been a situation of idol worship. The oneness of God would have been highlighted with even greater intensity, and it would have been clear that there's nothing but God, and that if there is an intermediary between a Jew and God, it can be none other than a Moshe, who is an intermediary who only serves to bond God to the Jew and the Jew to his creator, chosen by God to be his messenger to the nation of Israel. What unfortunately resulted, however, was that many sinned with the golden calf, worshipping an idol the morning after it was made, completely negating the oneness of God. This was the tragedy on this day that the golden calf was made, not the day they worshipped it. They were trying to create some existence and entity separate from God, even if the intention was to use the entity to draw godliness into lower physicality. This wasn't commanded by God as a vehicle to connect to him and could thus only result in a sin of idol worship. When God does command something, like the instruction to build the Mishkan, to make the ark for the tablets and the kruvim above it, these become a conduit for God's divine instruction and for God's divine presence. The objects themselves have no significance without the divine purpose they serve, transmitting God's instruction. As such, no error of the existence of two divine entities can be made. This is what the Medrash is telling us. The calf was a distorted derivation of the face of the supernal ox of the holy chariot. Above the holy ox is a section of the holy chariot, the Merkava, that has a godly context and reveals godliness. But when it becomes a self-standing entity in the physical world, separated from the Merkava, it loses its godliness and its expression of complete humility as a vehicle only, and sin and evil can result, and idol worship can result. This is likewise the connection of the translation of Tyre into Greek, prepared for King Talmai by his demand to the idea that it was as ominous a day as that the day that the golden calf was made. When Moshe translated the Torah into 70 languages, when he instructed that the Torah be written onto the stones in 70 languages, the Torah translations remained connected to their source through Moshe's instruction, connected to the holy tongue, and there was no possibility that it would be explained differently to the divine intention as it was delivered from the mouth of God. But the translation by the demand of Talmud, not by God's instruction, into Greek, carried the possibility of a negative result, where instead of learning the godly intention of divine oneness, the words Bereshit Baralakim would be translated as two entities, one that created another. Similarly, all similarly other verses would be translated in order to make them work in the Greek language and could become completely misconstrued and distorted away from their holy intention and negating the oneness of God. Just as this distortion occurred with the making of the golden calf, and more subtly in the translating of the Torah into Greek for Talmai, even more subtly this occurred in the study of Torah itself, in the differing opinions between the schools of Shammai and Hillel. It's known that the schools of Shammai, of the school of Shammai, and that Shammai himself was rooted in the energy of, judge, of judgment, of Gvura, and that the house of Hillel, and Hillel himself, was of the energy and the quality of Chesed, kindness and compassion. 
Thus, the law of Beis Shammai leaned towards harsher judgment, and the law of Hillel towards lenient judgment. The difference between harsh judgment, the difference between harsh judgment and leniency, kindness and compassion, is as the Medrash describes these two qualities back in Bereshit. When God wanted to create the world, He consulted with the angels and with the attributes, and with the attributes. And kindness was of the opinion to create man, for man would be kind to others. And truth, representing restraint and judgment, opined not to create man, as man would speak falsehoods. So according to Givura, this world should not exist, which is a completely different opposition to the attribute of compassion. After the world was created, created, restraint emerged as the humbling and the fragmentation of this world, and the characteristic of kindness as the opposite, the quality that draws godliness into this world. This gives us deeper insight into the difference between the quality of restraint and the quality of benevolence. The quality of judgment creates a false narrative of a world that is self-preserving, that functions independent of God, that hides godliness, and therefore the world requires humbling and fragmentation. On the other hand, the quality of kindness and the effluence of godliness that flows to the world through it resounds with the opposite narrative of a world that can be in unison with the divine. And it's thus through the world that one accomplishes a revelation of the godliness in the world. When there are two possibilities in determining Jewish law, whether to be more stringent or to be more lenient, the school of Shammai is always more stringent. Taking the position of separating oneself from the world as opposed to working within it. The school of Hillel is more lenient, always taking the position that one can refine and purify one's portion in this world. When you chunk this down even further, this tells us that the position of judgment can suggest two entities in existence, and one needs to go to war against the physical entity of this world as it doesn't unite with godliness. Again, the attribute of kindness and compassion only speaks to the singular unity of absolute godliness. Therein lies the comparison, the Mishnahic teaching, making comparing the difficulty of the day Hillel said before Shammai, like one of his disciples, to how difficult the day of the making of the golden calf. On this day when Hillel said bowed before Shammai, halacha, the law, was determined like the house of Shammai, which meant that the attribute of judgment overwhelmed the attribute of kindness and compassion. The fear was that this would continue into future generations. This level of judgment would then create space for this ultimate position of two entities. These, however, turned out to be speculative concerns. There was a fear that the law would continue to be determined in the vein of judgment, and there was a concern that the Torah interpreted by Talmai's instruction into Greek would lead to, lead to misrepresentations of what God's actual intention is in Torah. But in fact, neither of these things occurred. And they were not like the day of the making of the golden calf, which led to the idol worship on the following day. In fact, just as Aaron declared on the day that the golden calf was made, that the next day would be a festival to God, which literally meant that with Moshe's return, the renewed awareness of one God would have led to destroying the golden calf and the renewed worship of God. That is actually what happened with the translation of the Torah into Greek when the 72 elders translated the Torah at, as some sages suggest, the first Talmud's demand, and they changed several things, beginning with a translation that offers the first words of Torah, Bereshit Baralokim, in the beginning God created, 
into the Greek Elohim Barabreshit. It was God who created the beginning, bringing the unity of God's oneness, as Torah teaches it, not only to the non-Jew, but it also became law that the only language which one may translate the book of Tanakh into is Greek, into the clear and complete version refined of the Greek language. We can similarly say that regarding the day Hillel said bowed before Shammai like a disciple, not only did Jewish law not become determined into the future in the spirit of judgment and stringency, but this event actually also impacted Shammai himself and brought him a spirit of humility, and it's likely why there are several instances when the school of Shammai is lenient in their opinions. The words of our holy sages live and exist forever particularly those words that are in Torah, which is eternal. This would then mean that the words of Arin uttered on the day that the golden calf was made, which was the day before the 17th of Tammuz, that tomorrow is a festival for God, will most certainly be fulfilled. As the Arizal teaches regarding these words, a secret is alluded to here, and in the future the Arizal continues to say, God will transform the day of the 17th of Tammuz into a festival. And we will see that it is a festive day to God tomorrow, the tomorrow of the future. This festival emerges from the tshuva, the repentance of the Jewish nation, for making the golden calf, which in the future will emerge to reveal the unity of God, even in regards to the shalashlipas the three currently irredeemable levels of impurity, which will then be redeemed and transformed to good, to good becoming elevated to holiness and to their ultimate purpose and fulfillment. This can be said to regarding the translation of Torah in these latter generations into the 70 universal languages, particularly the translation of Hasidus, the wellsprings of the inner wisdom of Torah, reflected in the great effort of the previous Rebbe to ensure translation of Hasidus into the universal languages so that one who did not know Yiddish or Hebrew could also study from the wellsprings of Hasidus. In this way, these languages become purified and refined, not only in the service of the translation of Torah, the language itself is transformed, certainly when used to reveal and transcribe deep ideas and explanations of the oneness of God, as discussed in the study of Chassidus. The refining of the language also affects the nation that speaks it. All of this hastens and brings closer the Ka'asimar, the Malka Mashiach. Our master will arrive, the Melech HaMashiach, and God will then convert the peoples to a pure language, that all of them call in the name of the Lord to worship him of one accord, create transformation for all the nations who will all in one refined language recognize and declare God's name to serve him as one. Then these days of the three weeks, Bain Hamid Sarim, will be transformed into days of joy and rejoicing and days of joyous festivals. The completion of these three weeks, the ninth of Av, that began on the 17th of Tammuz, will be a grand and great festival, the Kar of Mamash, with the arrival of Mashiach, a righteous redeemer.